Welcome to For the Love Podcast with best-selling author Jen Hatmaker. Come on in and join us for a chat with Jen and friends about all the things we love. Now, here's Jen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the For the Love Podcast. It's me, Jen, and super glad to have you today. We are in the middle of a series um, that I'm loving for the love of fall and holidays. And we're kind of tackling all sorts of ideas, but it was, it occurred to me that a lot of us are heading into this season with some trepidation and dread because it comes with all this family togetherness and expectations. And, um, one thing that we are chronically not great at in our culture, certainly in our generation is boundaries. And so I, I mean, I don't, I can't even tell you um, how excited I am to have today's guests on. In fact, I was so nervous getting ready for this interview because their work has been so meaningful to me. It's mattered um, to the way that I parent, to the way that I handle my marriage, and the way that I handle my career. And that's not a joke. Um, their, their research and counsel was super fundamental to me at a really important time as I was trying to figure out how am I going to live my life. And so um, I'm thrilled to have them on today. So on the podcast today, we have Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. And so these guys, these guys are, they're beyond, I mean, so if you don't already know who they are, they're, they're probably most well known for their book boundaries. Um, boundaries is, was my first introduction to them and what literally set my feet on a completely different path. I mean, it's just a it's an international bestseller. It's sold over 2 million copies at this point. Um, and in fact, they just have a new version out right this minute that includes an expanded and updated portion on boundaries in the digital age. Because um, when it first came out, we didn't even have cell phones in the internet. And so um, they've added their expertise to that really important conversation. And so um, Dr. Cloud, let me talk about him first. He is just, he's an acclaimed leadership expert. I don't know how else to describe it. He's a psychologist, um, obviously a New York Times bestselling author. His books alone have sold more than 10 million copies, you guys. So he's doing all right. And so in his sort of, in his leadership consulting practice, Dr. Cloud works with everybody. He works with Fortune 500 companies. He works with small private businesses. He works with churches. He works with individuals. Um, he lives in Los Angeles with his wife, Tori, and their two daughters, Olivia and Lucy. So then we also have Dr. John Townsend, who's a business consultant and a leadership coach and also a psychologist. So he has written or co-written 30 books. <laughs> also selling over 10 million copies. And so um, this, this project together, Boundaries, um, absolutely put them on the map in permanent fashion. And so uh, Dr. Townsend is a, he's a co-host of a nationally syndicated talk show called New Life Live. I'm going to have the link to that in the transcript. And it's heard in 180 different markets with over 3 million listeners. And he's also the founder um, of the Townsend Institute for Leadership and Counseling, um, which might be a great resource for you. I really want you to check out all of their work. They have a lot of online resources um, and I'll make sure that their websites are all up and you can find everything um, that that you need. So that specific institute offers online graduate degrees, you guys, this might interest some of you, um, and credentialing. 
in three different areas, organizational leadership, executive coaching, and counseling. Um, So that may be something you want to look into um, at the close of this um, episode, but you're definitely going to want to listen in because, um, oh, by the way, Dr. Townsend and his wife, Barbie, live in Newport Beach, California. They've got two sons, Ricky and Benny, who are 15 and 17, same ages as two of my five kids. So we dig into all kinds of stuff in this episode, you guys. It's so useful. It's really, really practical. Um, you're going to hear a lot of scripts and things that you can say and tools that you can use with family members who are difficult or family situations that are going to be complicated. And so you're for sure going to want to have pen and paper um, for this one. You're going to want to take some notes. Um, and then, of course, if you can't, this entire interview will be transcribed and it'll be over on my website at jenhatmaker.com. Um, you guys, I need to just tell you in advance that toward the end of this interview, um, as we talked about like off-brand humor for what it's like to raise teen sons, I actually told these these doctors, um, these professional doctors, that I'd like to get through one Christmas when we're decorating our tree and my boys don't talk about Christmas balls. So I said that in this interview. So um, I apparently was not able to maintain my composure for the course of it. And I'm sorry in advance. Um, but this was a really, really fascinating interview. And I learned so much more than that I, I even knew from them before. And you're going to love it. Plus, even if they weren't so smart, they're funny. They could go on the road with their sort of back and forth stand-up routine. They're they're great. You're going to love this next. Um, we've expanded this episode a little bit because they have so much to offer. So this one's a little bit longer than normal, and you are not even going to be mad about it. So um, thanks for joining us. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. Gentlemen, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Hi, Jen. Good to be here. I'm trying to play it cool. I'm trying to be like a really professional, normal interviewer, but your work has been so important to me. It's mattered to my life so much that I just have, I feel like I have no chill and I'm sorry in advance. Can you tell my listeners by the sound of your voice, which one of you is which, so they can sort of identify you for the rest of the podcast? Oh, it's not, it's not by the sound of the voice. If it makes sense, it's me, Henry. If it's, if it's crazy, it's challenging. That, that's the best way to tell <laughs> That feels incredibly biased, um, but unless he's going to offer a rebuttal, we're going to have to go with that. I, I, most of my audience <laughs> says that the way to hear it, the difference is that I'm the biblical one, Jen. <laughs> Super. Okay, that's great. That nobody that clears everything up, you guys, and I thank you for that um, so much. Uh, so I want you both to know that... Your work has mattered to me more than I can ever possibly explain to you. And here's what's funny. You know what's interesting, you guys, is I've had a lot of really smart and talented and powerful um, women on this podcast. And I can't tell you how many times one of my guests has mentioned your work in just the course of something we're discussing. Um, You've been mentioned already on this podcast by Amina Brown, by Annie Downs. Uh, by Shauna Nequist. I know you've had um, contact with some of those girls. And and so your your reach is far. I mean, it really is. It's gone probably well beyond my guess is what you ever expected. So obviously, in a few minutes, we really wanted to have you guys on today just to talk, help us navigate boundaries around holidays. You know, all this family togetherness we're all about to face. But I did want to take just a hot minute to talk about 
you know, your flagship book together, Boundaries, um, which by the way, and listeners, we're going to have all this linked for you, but you've got sort of an updated and expanded version outright out right now, which includes um, boundaries for the digital age, for the internet. Listen, parents the worldwide over cannot thank you enough for that. Um, and so this book is just, it's just bonkers. It's just bonkers how many copies it has sold over 2 million. It just continues to make the rounds. It continues to instruct us. So my I just have to ask you if you ever imagined when you first sat down together and put this together that boundaries would be just as far reaching and as resonant as it has been. What was your, can you like even explain to us what it was like when you wrote it and then what your response was to all of our response to it? Henry, tell them the story about when we first thought what was going to happen when we wrote the book, what we expected. It's, it's kind of illustrative. Well, yeah, it's kind of funny, Jim. We we were out speaking a lot um, because we had a chain of treatment centers. Yeah. And so we, we would do seminars, and, and we were in a planning day one day, and the consultant asked us, when y'all go speak, what, what are most of the questions about in the material that you, that you deliver? And we started laughing. We said, oh, all the questions are about boundaries. And he said, well, why don't y'all write a book on boundaries? And we started laughing. Did you? Literally, because what we said was that would be awesome if we wrote a book on it. Then when people had questions, they could just read the book. We'll never have to talk about this again. We, we can move on to other stuff we care about. And we, we just had no idea. But, we, but you know what? We should have had an idea because, yeah. because the basic issue is this, that, you know, loving and responsible people, people are pretty, you know, kind and loving and they care and they're pretty responsible all have the same problem. They tend to attract some people into their lives that aren't so loving and aren't so responsible. Mm. And yet, because they are, they try to be patient, giving and sacrificial, and and they get used and abused a lot of times. And, and because they're loving, it's hard for them to stand up and say, no, that's not okay, and set limits and say, I'm not going to do that. And it really hit a chord, I think, because all of us can identify with it at some level. Um, no question. And it's interesting. What what year did Boundaries first come out? 92. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, you guys. I was graduating from high school. It's so funny you're it's, saying that, Jen. Henry and I were 10 years old when we wrote that book. <laughs> of course you were. You were prodigies. What did we expect? Well, you know, it's interesting because since then, so many people have um, emulated your work and, and built upon it. But at least from my perspective, you were the first. You were the first ones to come out and talk about this. So it was something that, well, virtually every human being is affected by. We all have boundary issues with somebody um, or we're not even safe. There wasn't any instruction on that. So your work has now like been the fertile soil for hundreds of other folks who have come upon and built on your shoulders. Can you tell us really quick before we move on a little bit about the portion that you added to boundaries right now, the, the digital um, boundary section? Well, you know, it's kind of funny. When we wrote the book, you actually could hide from people. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you could you could not pick up the phone yeah. or you could you could go physically to another building or you know, you were at work or at home, you had a professional life and a personal life. And then this this internet thing, when it went to the smartphone, mm-hmm. 
there were no, there's no place to hide. And basically the boundaries of time and space got pierced yeah. because your boss or your wacko extended family relative yeah. or crazy friend, they can find you anytime, anywhere. And they expect to hear right back. Yep. And they can, you know, and life just gets infected, you know, with instant access and people can't have family dinners or they can't go on dates and without, you know, the phone sitting there on the table and interrupting, it's just a mess. Uh, um, absolutely. I mean, in 92, of course, we didn't have any of it. We didn't have social media. We didn't have cell phones. Um, the most intrusive anybody could ever be with us was on call waiting. Like, oh my goodness, you didn't click over when I called you on your landline. (laughs) Um, but you're, I'm so grateful that you've added your expertise to this area because for us, it's not only about, uh, parenting our kids through it. We're kind of the first generation to have to parent teenagers, through this sort of yeah. unprecedented access to each other. And, and Jen, it's um, not but only I, the access, but it's now the addictive part of it, too, that we're noticing. You ever heard of FOMO? I do, and I experience it. Yeah, and our kids experience it, too, the fear of missing out, because you have an entire world, and, and you would have an entire high-power computer in your back jeans pocket where you can get any information, not only about the world and politics, but about what sweater your friend's wearing today and what they ate for lunch. Yeah. And, 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 and so the, the, the drive of that, I don't want to miss out on what's happening. I, I mean, it, we, we all have it, and so it controls. I, was, I, tell, I talk in the book about how I was having dinner with my wife, Barbie, and I had to go to the restroom. I excused myself, and I picked up my phone and went to the restroom and checked my email for some stupid reason. Right. I had no fire I was putting out. It just had fire. right. So I walk back and I sit down. And so I sit down at you know back at the table, and Barbie says, "Did you take your phone to the?" Yeah. <laughs> I went. Yeah. She goes, "Were you reading email?" I went, "Yeah." She yeah. goes, "You're writing about this. It's FOMO. You have it." <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. It's it's like an infectious disease. Yeah. Uh, it is so funny. You know, I travel a lot. You guys do too. And I've it, the phenomenon in airports is maybe where I notice it the most because at at any, at any point in any airport in any country at any time of day, they're not talking to each other. They're not laughing. They're not smiling. What are they doing? Everyone. Everyone, the grandmas, yes. the, the couples, the teenagers, yes. the four-year-olds, everyone. Yep. And it's just like, wow, in one, in less than one generation, our entire culture has changed. And so we don't have enough people teaching us how to manage it right now. It's just so new. Um, we're all just, I think, probably doing it wrong. And we're waiting for our kids to grow up and write books about how we did it so poorly. Well, actually, that's what that whole chapter is about, is that that horse has left the barn. We, Henry and I love tech. It's never going to go away. Yep. That's great. But you, now you have to have certain ground rules to deal with it because it must be managed. That's just it. I'm so grateful that you applied your knowledge to that. So um, everybody listening, that is the latest edition of Boundaries, and it is out and um I'd love anybody who can come alongside of us and tell us how to live our lives. Thank you for being those people. Okay, so you guys, listen. Jen, Jen, can, 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 can I say one, one thing about that chapter or, or that section of the book? That I've, you, you know, we've done a lot of interviews on this, and one of the things we get a lot of, a lot of questions about are the teens. Yeah. And parents worrying about their teenagers and social media and, and you know, their phones and all of that. And 
One of the things that is really, really, really important is parents, you know, they want to make sure their kids are safe. They want to monitor them and this and the other. But one of the things that we see is we see an overreach by a lot of parents. Mm. Like, what do you mean? And, well, they want, they think that they should be reading all their kids' texts Mm. and all their emails and all this kind of stuff. Now, think back when you were in high school. Mm If you could never have a conversation with a friend of yours that your mother was not in, mm. that's so crazy and unhealthy. Good point. And, and so what we, what we talk about in the book is that, look, privacy is something that everybody needs, but there's a difference in privacy and secrecy committing crimes. And so, you know, when your kids grow up in the real world, the cops are not going to be able to come in and search their house without right. probable cause. And so we, we try to get parents to look at the relationship you have with your child. The rela- There's not a technological answer to this. It's a relational yeah. answer. That you have the kind of relationship where you have trust and they have freedom and they use that responsibly and they don't hurt themselves or anybody else. And you give that to them. But if there's probable cause, that's when you get a search warrant. Mm-hmm. But, but, Make sure you're using the teenagers and the digital world to enhance your kids' maturity, mm-hmm. not delay it. Oh, my gosh. I could listen to you talk about this for 100 hours. We just aren't sure. We don't, we don't have a generation ahead of us to look to as an example here. So we're kind of making this up as we go. Well, yeah, we sort of polarize it in between, you know, there's the there's – the, there's the, you know, kind of, I want to be my child's best friend, Disney parent that just wants to hang out and have fun. And, and their, their kids are, have no structure or kind of going crazy. And then there's the, you know, anal retentive, like frightened helicopter parent who wants to go through the, the, the chest of drawers every second. And yes. that's crazy too. Neither one of those prepare a child for what, you know, what the Bible calls is in, in, in Psalm 85, it says that that in, in God, righteousness of peace have, have kissed each other. Mm. And righteousness is structure and honesty and reliability and all mm. that. And peace is love. They're not being trained to be righteous, loving people. Mm. That's where you got to be able to, like Henry said, you know, you really validate and freedom that's earned. When they earn a freedom, you give them more. But mm. when they don't, you got to yeah. take them out of the pool. Mm, that's really good, you guys. Um, we, we, we talk about a formula in there that, that when when my girls became teenagers, they're they're 15 and 17 now. But when they first became teenagers, I sat down and said, "Look, guys, here's the deal: you're about to become teenagers, and you're gonna you're gonna want to have a lot of freedom. And I could not be more more for that. I want you to have I, the last thing I want to do is control mm-hmm. you. The last thing I don't want to have control of you. I want you to have something the Bible calls self control. That's good. So so here's the formula." It's a math equation. Okay. Free, freedom equals responsibility equals love. Mm-hmm. All three of those have got to be equal. So you'll have as much freedom as you use responsibly. And here's the way you can tell you're using it responsibly if you're not doing anything destructive to you or to somebody else. Mm, pretty simple. And so if you if you can do that, hey, I'm, I'm the last person going to be policing you. But if you don't use it responsibly and there's something hurtful to you or somebody else, then that freedom equation, part of the equation, begins to go mm-hmm. down too. 
So listen, let me confess something to you. I wrote a study a few years ago. First of all, let me commend you for writing a book that has such a long tail and its shelf life is so amazing and you can still stand by it and be proud of it, you know, 25 years later, because (laughs) I wrote a a Bible study uh, over a decade ago and it was unfortunately titled Girl Talk. And I'm sorry, please still try to respect me. Um, But the point was, the study was specifically dialed into healthy relationships between women. And I essentially built the whole premise on your book, Safe People. It was life-changing for me. And I've got the exact book that I read back then on my shelf marked up to an inch of its life. And so um, for my listeners who aren't familiar with Safe People, uh, this was... Uh, an amazing, amazing piece of work that you gave us. And it kind of asked the question, you know, why do we choose the wrong people to get involved with? And is it possible to change? And if so, how? Um, So, you know, obviously, millions of us are drawn to people who aren't necessarily good for us. Um, And we repeat these patterns over and over, we see them play out and play out. And so I, in my in my feeling, you, you did a phenomenal job of outlining, you know, how we can learn to make safe choices in relationships from everything from friendships to work relationships to romantic relationships. And I like really liked how you turn the mirror on the reader. Are you a safe person? Like, because a lot of us are unsafe and we don't even necessarily know it. We're not self-aware enough to know. So you gave us a lot of freedom in that book to look at the people we choose and why. And then how to choose better. So can you tell us about how this isn't, how it's not blaming other people for the relational dysfunction in our lives, but rather equipping us to to love better, to be um, happier and more stable in our relationships and um, to figure out um, what relationships are unsafe and which ones are safe? The reason we wrote that is that, you know, after boundaries kind of, became popular, people would come up to us and say, I've been doing this boundaries thing since I read your book, and now I don't, ha- I don't have any friends, so can you help me with <laughs> An unfortunate side effect. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, that, nothing could be further from the truth that, that boundaries are about all those bad people out there. Not only is it our fault, we've got to be the one that give, that's either gives the choice or take the choice, but secondly, sometimes there are boundaries conflicts Jen, where there's no bad guy, like mm-hmm. somebody just wants to go have dinner with you and you've already got a schedule thing that night, there, there's, they just want to be with you. And so to have to say no and mm-hmm. say, here's why, can I reschedule? It's not always about a toxic controlling addict. Sometimes it's just schedules don't work out. So, so boundaries about being the good guy all the time if you can be. So the whole idea behind the safe people thing was in order to have really good boundaries, your first step is not to start to run out and say no all the time because mm. it can mess up relationships and you've got things in your head. Now that we're studying the, the neuroscience, Henry and I spend most of our time studying neuroscience now and how boundaries are such a big part of that. If you've never set limits before, or if you were trained in your family to be the, you know, the uh, enabler and the glue that holds everybody together and the yes person and the approval seeker and the people pleaser, where your brain's been trained to do that, you just don't walk out with a big stop sign that says, no, you're going to feel guilty and you're That's going to right. say it wrong and you're going to take your words back. It's going to be bad. The very first thing you've got to do is you've got to get the right boundary-loving people around you. Because God built us for a relationship, not only with him, with each other. You've got to have a few people that, and you, and you have to say something like, I'm reading this book, and 
you know, I'm learning that I don't have these boundaries, and that's why I'm kind of tired and and burn out. And and it's, it's okay if I say no to you every now and then. And most sane people go, goodness gracious, yeah, you can do it to me, and I can do it to you, and we can still be friends. You've got to get that team in your head and your life and your heart so that you can have the wherewithal to retrain yourself to say to have boundaries. That's what safe people is about. It really is. And I feel like what safe people did for me was lay paver stones to that kind of life I wanted to experience. So, so much of your work made perfect sense to me and I could see the end game. Those are the people I want in my life. I want to be that person. And I wasn't sure how to unravel from habits or relationships where it was just way too tangled and I didn't know how to smooth that out and and safe people really laid some pavement for that. Specifically, one thing that you said in that study that I quoted, and just for the record, I gave you, of course, all the credit. Essentially, the entire bibliography for Girl Talk is um, Dr. Cloud and Dr. Townsend, the end. Just read their book and now you'll know. Um, But one thing you wrote in there was, you said, entitlement destroys safety. Because no normal human can fulfill our demands. Um, It's impossible to love an entitled person as some fault, some empathetic misstep or insensitivity will send the entire relationship tumbling down. The entitled person must be listened to and understood perfectly at all times, or she feels injured or wounded. And that zinged me so incredibly um, hard because not only did I have relationships like that, but I think I was that person in a couple of relationships too. And so I like this kind of tough talk that your books, um, just give it to us straight. So if you would just for a second, that whole idea, it's impossible to love an entitled person. Can you, um, can you expand on that for just a second? Because we're about to head into the holidays and we, I don't know, might possibly find ourselves um, in company with some entitled people. No, that never happens at Hollywood. No, no, no. And not in our family. I just mean other people's. <laughs> well, one of the biggest problems, if you just think of the word entitled, it means that somebody feels like they own the title to something of yours, like the, mm. like a deed, right? So I got the title to your home. I'm entitled to come to your house and you owe me the right to do whatever I want. So if if somebody has an entitled, entitled personality, they think that they are, they deserve and, you know, or have the right to deference and certain kinds of treatment and loving them in the way they want to be loved each. And when you don't do it in their head, you've committed a crime. Hmm. Now, the reality is, in real relationships, freedom and love go together. And so if you let's say that you're entitled and you say, hey, I want you to come, you know, for Thanksgiving and and, you know, spend the night before and bring all the kids and this and the other. And and you're my mom and I have a, a separate family now. You know, we leaved and cleaved, as the Bible says. I say, well, we'd love to come over for Thanksgiving dinner, but we're going to spend the night before at our house because we're, we're building our own traditions there. Now, if you're if you're a non-entitled mom, you'll go, oh, that's great. Well, we'll look forward to you. I'm, I wish you could come the whole time, but I understand. And life goes on. But if you are entitled to the attention that you want, 
then by our not coming and spending the night, we've actually done something bad. We've done yeah. something wrong. It's not just a different choice. We've actually committed That's a crime. Right. And every crime's got to be punished. Hmm. So entitlement, you know, it's just, I, I can't tell you how many business meetings I've been in where somebody will say something to somebody else, a question about a deal, and the person kind of bristles and goes, so are you questioning my integrity? Mm. And I just think, well, gosh, I wasn't, but I am now. Who is above being questioned? Of course, of course we want people to question us. You know, I saw you do this or it didn't look right or I'm confused about this. Help me understand. We if we owe anybody anything, it's we owe them an explanation to have their perceptions make sense. Hmm. So entitlement is ugly, yeah. ugly, ugly. It is. And and I know for so many people listening, of course, their their minds are automatically reaching for that person in their life that is incredibly entitled. But for most of us, just in order to to avoid conflict, we've, we've adapted our behaviors, of course, to keep that person happy, to appease what they feel like they deserve or what they're entitled to. And because it feels like initially, this will just simply be easier than setting boundaries. And you know, that is, that is, it's an exercise in futility. And the Bible teaches that, Jan, because there's a proverb that says, I think it's around 29, talks about a bug named the leech, not a bug, an animal. It says, the leech has two sisters. The first one, her name is Give, and the second one's name is Give. Oh, wow. <laughs> so so you, you can sort of pacify that entitled person by trying to, okay, I'll make them happy now, but you are going to reap the whirlwind tomorrow. It never fixes things. It doesn't. You know, my book, Entitlement Cure, that came out a few months ago, has all this stuff in there. Okay, that's a great resource um, because it really is a. Sh- it only feels like a short-term solution, right? Um, to right. avoid conflict, but ultimately, you know, we'll end up resenting that person or destroying the relationship. Also, like John said, it it, it it's not going to end with that one demand that you gave into. There's only going to be sixty-four million after that. That's right. And so, so we think exactly what you said, Jen. You said, you know, it's easier. Just to give into it, you know, it's so much easier to not brush your teeth and just go to bed. But the root canal that ultimately you're going to have to have is not a fun afternoon. It's just not. It's so true. Um, Obviously, I'm sure you've circled the wagons on this point a zillion times. But I think maybe what, what you taught that instructed me more than any other truth that you laid out was the idea of reaping what you sow and that when we are always reaping what somebody else is sowing, that is just simply not the way God wired his community to work. That's not a healthy way. But the tricky thing is, is when you have been reaping what somebody else is sowing for so long, when you stop doing that um, just as a sign of health and and good boundaries, they're going to lose it. They're going to lose it because that's the first time they've had to 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 reap what they sow in a really long time. And so there's just a little bit of inevitable chaos, right? I mean, in the real world, the, things might get a little rockier before they get better. Would you say that's, that's true or is that your experience? Has anybody ever had a toddler? You ever been around a toddler? Yeah, so many of them. Okay. 
Yeah. So what happens? Like the first year, they're used to you doing pretty much whatever they want, right? You know, they they get hungry. Okay, here I'll feed you. You know, they get tired. You rock them. So I mean, it's all about them. But what happens is they get to this next phase where life asks them to start. You know, life sort of says we're going to stop meeting all of your demands, and now you're going to have to meet the demands of life. And so what that means is life is going to demand for you to not go over there, not step over that line, not go step off the curb or not pick up that hot, that hot stove thing or whatever it is. And we're going to say no to you. Well, so when a toddler first hears that, they go crazy, red face, rage, all sorts of punishment. Well, that's cute at 14, 15 months old. And we expect it, but at 40, it's not cute anymore. That's right. And the reason is nobody's ever said no to them. Mm-hmm. And there's a proverb, nine, Proverbs nineteen nineteen says, if you rescue an angry man, you'll only have to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> Very good. Yes. So all you're doing is putting off the root canal. So just go ahead and do it today and save yourself. I love time. that courage. Let's take that idea and let's, let's point the arrow in the direction of the holidays. Um, because your your work has so much, uh, so many grips here in this season. So obviously, a ton of us are going to be around difficult families in the next few weeks, um, different difficult family members, um, or even just the demands on our schedule, on our time, on our calendar, on our families. It's just kind of a weird time of year. Um, and so I, I'd love, you've got some really, really good, plus, by the way, this is a weird year. So some of us are are walking into family environments that are that feel more volatile than they have in some time. It feels like to me we're more polarized right now. Um, we're more entrenched. We're more tribal. We're more contentious. And so, I mean, even in a already rocky situation, I think a lot of our listeners are thinking, oh, not this year. Oh, my gosh. Please let the rapture happen before Thanksgiving. Um, and so <laughs> I'd love to talk about about boundaries um, in the holidays a little bit. You, you guys have outlined a way that we can enjoy this season. And you've given us some guidance, basically in three specific areas that I'd love to unpack with you. You say three things. Number one, make decisions as an adult with our families. Number two, deal with awkward relatives or unpleasant behavior. And number three, set boundaries when your family gets too close for comfort. Let's talk about that first one. Uh, We're making decisions as an adult with our families. So we're all adult children of adults um, at this season in our lives. And and And, and we're all adult children of adult children. You got to remember that. That's true. And as are they. Um, And so our dependency on our parents and our other elder relatives, we hope has diminished, you know, in just sort of this very dependent space. So, what or maybe maybe not even dependent, vulnerable. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's a better word. The reason I like that word for the holidays is because the holidays are a really emotional time where people have real sentimental, vulnerable feelings about either the holidays that were or sometimes the wish for the holidays that never were that they wish could have been. Mm, you know, gosh, you, I'm telling you, of, you are singing so many people's song right now. And that makes um, us vulnerable. That we, cause then, and then it's sort of like, gosh, if I put up with alcoholic Uncle 
you know, Ernie's behavior one more time. I'm unkind to him. Maybe he'll go to AA for once in 2018. And so we don't, we, we, we walk into the, you got to understand the, how the brain works here. You walk into the thoughts about the holidays from sort of a, a rose colored t- glass and you're just more vulnerable to this. So that that's why our first point of the adult decision, you sit around with the family and say, Hey, we want a great Thanksgiving. We want a great holiday. We want a Christmas and great new year. And so, uh, you, you know how it is. We, we love these folks, but there's, there's some things we want to make sure that we get done and time wise. And you make really grown up decisions way before, you know, Black Friday happens and this mm-hmm. sort of thing. So you're objective. And then you can control not only, and I know your second point is more about the awkward people. We'll get to that because Henry's got a lot of experience being an awkward person. He'll sure. really help you there. But but the first about the schedule and stuff, just, just you know, what are the good things we can do that we want to make sure? We want to go to our church and not miss that great, thing we're doing. Mm. We want to go to the, the, the we want to go to the domestic violence shelter and love on those people and go to the homeless shelter. We want to visit our friends and you schedule those things out not based on, you know, upsetting people but based on what you feel like is the right thing to do. So, get off the rose-colored glasses and say what's really realistic about the holidays. I love that because otherwise the tail's going to wag the dog. There you go. Um, and so I I think if if that's a pretty simple step, but sitting down in advance together and saying what are our ex- our expectations out of the season? What do we really want? Um, I can't, a lot of us don't do that at all. And all of a sudden we're mired in chaos and can't figure out where we hate everybody. Um, and it's just, you know what you, yeah. you, you've got, you've got two choices though, or two options. One is that you can decide now what you want on January 2nd, what you want to be able to look back at mm-hmm. and say, wasn't it a great holiday season? Or you want to wake up on January 2nd and go, what happened to the holidays? I'm so tired and miserable and all of this. And and so life either happens to us or, yeah, I mean, obviously there's bad things out of our control. But but we're supposed to live life intentionally. Mm-hmm. And so I, what I like to, to encourage people to do is sit down before the holidays hit and say, okay, we got this amount of time. How much, how many how many parties are we going to yeah. go to? How many gatherings? Well, let's say that you come up with the right number. And then you're you're going to spend that number well, mm-hmm. right? Or how much family time do we want to have? Or how much free time where I don't want to be last minute doing this. I want to be able to have, you know, some some space. Yeah. And, and, and what people do I want to not be around? And, you know, you may have to call Uncle Ernie. And you may have to say, you know, Ernie, I love you and I want you, I want you at the holiday gathering. But, you know, last year what happened was you got overserved. And then you started to kind of get mean to the kids and and you know, and I don't want that to happen again. So I need your promise right now that if you come, that's not gonna happen. And B if it does happen, let's agree right now on what will happen then that I'm going to ask you to leave. Mm. Okay. And so, so you get the clear expectations ahead of time and then you can be in control. And sometimes you have to go like John said and explain that to some people, but how much better to do it before than after. So let's talk about uncle Ernie. Um, let's say that we've done the really mature step of, of setting expectations in advance. 
Um, we've head off as much unpleasant behavior at the past as we possibly could. So what about when we're in the middle of it and Uncle Ernie acts a fool, right? Maybe we didn't know he was going to. Maybe something went wrong. I'm not really sure what. Well, but, um, so when you say we, deal with that. Already down and have we already sat down and have a clear expectation for that occurrence? Have we told Uncle Ernie, if that happens, here's what I'm going to do? Mm. So in other words, Uncle Ernie, you can drink way too much bourbon and take off your pants. But if you do that, yeah. What we're going to do is we're going to drive you home. Well, actually, I don't, I don't want to miss the party, Jen. I'm not driving her home. I'm going to call a paddy wagon. Even better. Uber. Even better. Yeah, I'm not sitting next to him with his pants off anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. It's not That's okay. fair. So, but, but you started the conversation with what if he surprises us. With good boundaries, you're not surprised. It's not like, gosh, he went ahead and went crazy. It's like, oh, yeah, that's the plan we do when he goes crazy. So nobody's ever like in, in you know, panic mode. So he does all that awful stuff. And then you either say, um, well, we're going to go, you know, we've got a plan B. We're going to go be with our family and we'll have to leave. Or, uh, yeah, we call the paddy wagon or something. But there's a plan B. And remember, it's not about controlling it's never about controlling uh, Uncle Ernie. Yeah. Galatians 5.23, all the fruit of the Spirit. We love to talk about love, joy, peace, patience, and, and all this, but the one we always miss, Jen, is, 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 is self-control. self-control. We're not controlling him. He can take his pants off anywhere mm-hmm. he wants to, but we're controlling what the family's going to do about that. And so what if he goes crazy and the whole family says, we're going to you know Susie's house next door or a hotel conference room center or a park? Well... That's what you do. So you got to have the plan in place that that just preserves you guys and controls what kind of Thanksgiving you're going to have. That's probably, for me, the key pivot, um, that boundaries are never about manipulating somebody else to act right um, or to do what you want. It's just simply about what am I going to put up with and what am I not? Um, And there's such a freedom in that. I mean, that just takes all the weight off of our shoulders um, because now it's just in our hands. Jen, I was I used to live on a cul-de-sac at the end of the cul-de-sac and I, I drove in one night <clears throat> and I don't know exactly what I did, but some something the lady was out in her front yard four or five houses down and she thought I came too close to her car or dog or so I don't know what it was. But I go down and I park on the on the curb by my house and, and she comes down just screaming at me and she was wasted. Mm. I mean she was just drunk. And 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 I you know, I could tell pretty quickly this wasn't going anywhere. And I just said, you know, Miss Miss So and So, I I have a policy that that I don't I don't talk to people while they're inebriated. Mm. So I'll be glad I'll be glad I just don't do that. So I'll, I'll be glad to talk to you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just just come knock on the door um, when you're sober, and we'll have this conversation. I went inside. See, I I can't control her. Right. But I'm not going to sit there and have three hours of of arguing to a wet brain. I mean, it's just, it's crazy, but I can't control her. I can only control me. It's powerful. Hey everyone, it's Jen. I'm going to interrupt the show real quick, just to let you know that my ride or die friend, Nicole Nordeman and I are hitting the road again 
in 2018 on the Moxie Matters Tour. We cannot be more excited. The fall tour was just beyond so exciting and so wonderful, and we are thrilled to get to bring some spring dates to you in 2018. So absolutely grab your girlfriends, your daughters, your moms, your neighbors, and come be reminded that every part of your journey matters and leads to this bigger, more beautiful story. Hey, this is the perfect holiday gift. Send this to your person and say, hint, hint, this is what I want. You can get tickets at moxiematterstour.com. We cannot wait to see you. So again, visit moxymatterstour.com today to get your tickets. Talk to us for just a minute about what do you mean when you say uh, set boundaries when your family gets too close for comfort? I mean, it is sometimes great to all be together, and but sometimes it's not. Um, and so how do you think... I don't know. How do you, what do you think? What are some ideas? Can you give us some, some suggestions for sort of protecting Now, what do you mean by too close for comfort? Like what kind of things are you thinking about for your audience? Well, I think it could be more than one thing. I think it could be too much time. Like we want, we want all of your margin. Um, It could be too intrusive, just too, too, um, too much digging, too much. We want to talk about these really complicated issues right now in front of all the kids and cousins. Yeah. Um, just too much. So what, how is it, how, how, what are some ideas for when we need to say family, we need space. Um, how, how do you suggest we handle protecting sort of time, margin and energy? Well, it always begins, um, with conversations with that family of what you will and won't do what you want before the event. The worst time you can make a decision then is, is when the moment when somebody asks some awful intrusive question or, you know, this sort of thing, or kind of hijacks you at the event. And then you're, you're basically not functioning from your executive functions in your prefrontal contact cortex. You're, you're, you're functioning from your amygdala, which is firing, going fight, flight, fight, flight, mm-hmm. and you're going to say something you don't want to say or you'll give in or whatever. So you've got to be ahead of time. And little fun ground rules that the kids can remember and the parents can remember are going to be, you know, it's okay to say if, you know, so-and-so hijacks you and wants to, you know, be a close talk. Remember Jerry Seinfeld, the talk? the close Yes, of course. <laughs> the close talker wants to hijack you for two hours or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's really okay for you to say, "I've got to go. Um, I've got to go get a sandwich or whatever. I got to go talk to mom." We, we give you guys permission to go do that because the kids don't know since they're kids that they can do that with the relatives, that's but right. they can, and that's a little nice thing to give the kid a little bit of relief and freedom. Oh, I like that. I like giving our kids a little script to use yeah. when they're not sure what else to say. Yeah. Yeah, sort sort of like when my girls came, came home from preschool one day, and and, and they they started singing this song and, and drawing these squares in front of them. They go, "Stop! Don't touch me there. These are my no-no squares." <laughs> <laughs> so, so I I think you know in some families. It, it's totally smart to say, I can't wait to see you guys at Christmas, but I'm going to have one rule for myself. I'm not going to talk about politics. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if y'all start talking about politics, that's when I'll go in the other room and read a book or whatever. Y'all have fun. Or I'm not going to talk about religion. Hmm. Or I'm not going to talk about mixing politics and religion. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm not talking, going to talk about whether you think I ought to have my, my kids homeschool yeah. or public school. I, you know, that's just not... That's not why I'm coming to Christmas. 
That's so good. So, you know, there's certain things that this isn't the time or the place. You want to go talk about that? We'll lock ourselves in a psych hospital. That's right. And, you know, and do it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I just, thanks for giving us permission for saying that. It's, we almost just try to not look that conversation in the eye. Like if we don't get it, give it any attention, it will not present itself. Um, yeah. But just like everything else you're teaching us right now, do it in advance. Set this up in advance. Then you are safe. But isn't it? It, isn't it kind of funny though that that we'll even use the phrase that you just used? Thanks for giving me permission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you don't need it. Need permission. Mm-hmm. You're the one that gets to choose what you're going to talk about or not talk about. The only time you need permission would be from a judge that's going to hold you in contempt of the question, and even then, you can say, "I plead the fifth." It's so true. We are so bound up here um, in other people's feelings and expectations and take on such responsibility outside of our own control that it's almost like common vernacular that we need somebody else to tell us that we can prioritize our um, health and our sanity. (laughs) Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart for from it flow the wellsprings of life. Nobody's going to guard my heart but me, or nobody's going to guard your heart but you. And our heart has all of our decisions and choices and passions and values and all that. And it's kind of a command to to be free to take care of yourself as opposed to asking permission. Let me give you one example from from our own family. So so, um, my wife has three sisters, so, so, so there's four adult kids, right, and all with families. And, and so generally, the, you know, most of the times at Christmas, we will go to, to her parents, you know, to the grandparents' house, and everybody spends the night and spends, spends Christmas together, okay? Mm-hmm. Except for one of the sisters who their kids are at ages where they, you know, some are uh, starting to go to, off to college and said the other. One of the sisters a few years ago said, well, you know what, we... It's sort of the example I gave about Thanksgiving. We we're not going to come for spending the night because we we want the kids to wake up, mm-hmm. you know, at our own house and have Christmas there, and then we'll be over and join y'all about ten or eleven o'clock. Okay, now that's great. That's fantastic, and I wish that every every family would would extend the emotional freedom to people to to be able to do that. That's perfectly normal. But in some families, you know, what you're going to get is either grandma or grandpa or somebody says, well, you know, that what you don't love us or, right. you know, blah, 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 blah. And that's where that bondage begins to happen. And so what boundaries are about is to, to realize, you know, you can't keep somebody from having those feelings or being controlling. But what you can do is say, you know. I'm really sorry that that's hurtful to you. I really don't want to hurt you. It's not why we're doing mm-hmm. it. I'm sorry if it frustrates you, but we really do need this time and we're going to do it. I hope you can understand. That's all you can that's do. That's it. That's a really good script. And so I, I would, I want to ask you two things because I'm listening to you talk. Um, and I don't even know how this is a question, except that I would just like you to address the idea somehow that I know what happens when people hear your teaching is that, before they've even put any of it into practice, before they've had one hard conversation or drawn some boundaries around anything at all, they already feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. They already feel guilty. They already feel like they're the bad guy. And I would love for you to talk about how we navigate that a little bit. 
Well, that that kind of shows them where the real problem is. The real problem's in their own head, like John was saying, that they've got to guard their heart, and there's some weeds inside of their heart, mm. some scripts and some old tapes and or you know old messages or bondage inside of them. That that's why the other person can actually have control of them because it taps into those those kind of have tos inside their own head. So that that's why it's really really important. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Galatians five one. And if you ask people why did Jesus die, they'll give you a thousand reasons. But here's what the verse says: It is for freedom that Christ has died. Because mm. where we have freedom, then we can have love and self control. And so. It, they've got to deal with those voices inside their own head. So mom or dad or Uncle Ernie or whoever won't have the power to push those buttons because yep. those buttons inside of them have been healed. And that's the important boundaries work. It's the internal work. When we look at how the brain functions, Jen, there's always a couple of things that make it permanently really change. We've seen this happen so many times. One is you've got to have the information. That's why, you know, Bible verses like Galatians 5.1 and Proverbs 4.23, studying those and praying over those because the, the data, your brain, especially the left side of the brain, just loves to have that in your head so you can kind of combat the crazy messages of you're being selfish and you're letting yep. everybody down. But the second yep. thing is you've got to have relational experiences. Because the brain also needs to have something to glue that to get glue that list of verses or principles together mm-hmm. to kind of make sense. So you've got to have people around you that say, I know you're gonna to go to Idaho to see so and so and they're I know they're kinda of, they're kinda of nuts and hey, you can text me anytime because I love you and you can say no and all this. Now you've got not That's only the, the data, but you've got relational experiences so you come in armed and ready and you know what? Your brain begins to not go into that I'm so bad mode because you're getting help from the outside. Oh, that's really good. I I wonder your experience here because you guys work with enormous companies and you work with people both inside and outside of faith. So, you know, a lot of your work is with businesses and, and, you know, general market organizations. And um, when it comes to this idea that you're talking about right now of guilt management and taking on that sense of emotional responsibility for somebody else's reaction, um, and even to some degree being an enabler and essentially preferring politeness and lack of conflict to what is actually a healthy relationship. Do you guys think that this is, I don't know if uniquely is that the right word, but do you think Christians struggle with this more? Do you think we've something in our theology has embedded us to be so incredibly polite, to defer, to be selfless, and we've tangled those ideas up into something that's really toxic? Well, I think certainly. And first of all, I'd say it's a human condition. Do you? Because uh-huh. you know, we. Oh, absolutely. Because after Genesis three, you know, when we disconnected from the freedom and self control that God gave us, we lost our freedom. And so, since then, every relationship, whether relationships of faith or non faith, you know, that there's controlling relationships. Now, the question is, and in in, in Christians, I would say this, that the The question is, and Jesus put it very clearly, the question is, are you operating according to the traditions of your elders Hmm. or the oracles of God? Now, that's a key question that everybody's going to ask. You know, am I just saying yes because my family taught me or my parents or my church or somebody taught me 
that it's Christian to do everything everybody wants you to do and you can't say no. And that's what being, being a servant means. Or am I going to the Bible mm. and saying what it says? You know, you read, when Jesus was asked, what does love look like? He said, a guy was walking down the road and everybody passes this guy who got beat up. And this one guy, Samaritan, good Samaritan, he stopped. Yeah. And he said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you up at this end. I'm going to give the guy some money. And then it says, he said, I got to go off for a while and do my own business and I'll be back. So in other words, he said, I'm going to give some to you, but there's some time and energy I'm not going to give to yeah. you. And I'm going to go do the same. That's true. Well, there, you know, not too many years ago, they, they, they found the, the codependent goods. Mm. Did you hear about when the archaeologist dug that up? He, he said, I'm going to go, I'm going to pay for your room here at the end. I'm going to go off and do my business. And then, then the other guy said, what? I thought you were a Christian. Uh, How can you leave me here? I thought you were loving. Wow. I've never heard anybody See, say that before. On um, Take that so angle right. on that story. That's really fascinating. I never thought about well, him going on to the rest of his business. Think about that. Yeah. Think about that. And the Bible the Bible's replete with verses like that. It says, you know, if, if you got two tunics, give one away. But, you know, it's okay to... Keep one for yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> don't, and Paul says, don't merely look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Second mm. Corinthians 9, 7 says, give as you've decided to give in your heart, not begrudgingly, means somebody pushes you into yeah. it, you begrudgingly give in, or it says under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. Mm. So you shouldn't feel compelled to have to say yes to everything, but you're right. You know, I think that, that, both people of faith and non-faith have the issue. That's what we find in, mm. in just businesses. These are issues that teams have to work out yeah. in, in, in secular companies. What's your role? What's my role? You come ask me to do your job, and look, we already sat down and decided that's really not in my role. That's in yours. I can't help you there. Mm. I like that. I would love to talk about that for the next two hours. Um, so... Let me, let me ask you this question. Um, a lot of our listeners are heading into a scenario where they've got their sister and her kids or her brother, their brother and his kids, um, all the cousins. And so, you know, anytime you have a lot of different kinds of families come together, there's some weird, there can be some really weird moments in terms of how everybody parents, you know, like some of the kids are just like <laughs> feral. You know, they're just, they're jumping off the roof. Those would be the hat maker kids, you guys. I'm serious. Um, and some are just, they're, they, they're going to come in a seersucker suit. You know, they're just neat and tidy as a pin. So can you, can you give us any advice? How do you, how do we approach this? Um, can be a tricky issue of explaining to our kids or even to another um, family member if there's an issue around discipline or behavior or expectations for our kids who are all now in one big Thanksgiving pool. Well, remember how we established that when we're getting ready to go in the holidays, Jen, you will you should never be surprised. <laughs> Okay. Yes. So that's another part of the family conversation a couple of weeks before you hit the road or fly out or drive them is, you know, how, you know, your, your aunt Sally's, you know, kids, um, are just nuts and they, you know, crash into furniture and it's, and the, and, and your aunt Sally says, well, isn't that cute? They're so creative and you know, mm. we don't think so. Or then, you know, the other right. one is sort of rigid and got toilet trained when he was three weeks old and he can't even yes. have a statement. <laughs> and so what you have is, 
is you've got to convey to them Joshua 24, which says, choose this day whom you're going to serve. If it doesn't seem pleasant to you to serve the Lord, that's your choice, but it's for me and my household. And you say, you know, guys, we're probably not as cool as a lot of families, and I wish we were cooler, but we just have these rules that don't, we just feel are right. But also, we want to have lots of fun. But however your cousins act, here's how we're going to act, and here's our ground rules of behavior. You know, you're respectful to the grown-ups. You help, you ask, uh, like when, when our kids were that age and you go to these things, the, the, one of the rules was to say the five words, how can I help? Mm. You know, instead of sitting there in your butt watching the game is how do I go help yeah. to wash dishes and how do I help clean them off and that sort of thing. And um, and if, if something happens and we think you're getting out of control, we'll just pull you aside, take you to the backyard and say that's a little inappropriate. We're not going to shame you in front of everybody, but you just mm. let them know. That the Smith family, which is our family, acts a certain way, whether we're at our home or, 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 or wherever, so that they know that the rules don't change. That's good. And then what about if we um, have to step in, like when grandma is like, oh, just let them be kids, right? Just boys will be boys. Um, do you suggest that that is also a private conversation? Do you think that's better handled kind of offline out of the view of the rest of the family? Or, or what do you think about that? You mean with grandma? Yeah, with grandma. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you know, everybody, this is the funny thing. Henry and I have been, been talking to people about holidays for a million years, and everybody wants to have the transformational talk over Thanksgiving dinner, as if people can do that. Good point. You know, you're sitting there, there's 10 of you sitting there, and the turkey's there and all this stuff, and somebody wants to turn to the other person and say, Aunt Susan, I've been reading boundaries. You've been really abusive to me. Oh, that's just going to be a hallelujah chorus. It's just stupid. Oh, so, that's a great point. So, no, you don't have the talk or the shaming yeah. thing. You just take her aside and say, just come to me when they're acting goofy. I'll take care of it. Or come to me if you want to talk about how they need more freedom. But let me be the mom here and, and you just that's have fair. it in a, in a kind of a nice sidebar way. I feel so empowered and, when I talk to you guys. And, like, I can handle anything. I feel like I can handle anyone. I need to, I'm hoping that I have something really, like, tumultuous in a relationship in the next three hours. Because I feel really prepared oh, can, for uh, it. Jen, I can introduce you to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so, let, let, let me give kind of the other side of that as well. Okay. I think it's really important. We always told our kids, look, if 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 your grandparents or your uncle or aunt they, you know, we want, if they see you misbehaving, we want them to tell yeah. you. And so if they, if they see you out of line or they, then we want you to respect them and listen to them. Hmm. But there's some other ways, you know, we talk to the different parents and we all sit down and say, no, you know, we let our kids do this. Y'all don't. So how about in those areas, we just sort of, you know, hmm. sort of respect each other's different rules, but in, in things of character, you know, that. I used to like the phrase, look, both God and the Beverly Hillbillies would agree that that's <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, if you're going to make that sound, don't do it at the table. That's good. There, there's some things that are preferences yeah. and some things that are values. Good and, point. And, you know, it's just, it's just about the conversation. Now, you do have some wackos that think that they're, the, they're going to tell you how you're, you know, misparenting your kids. Yeah. And, and all of that. And that that's where that conversation, that's a limit. Mm. And say, you know what? I appreciate your perspective. I'll be glad to hear it. But I also want you to appreciate that I'm the parent. Okay? And so ultimately, I'm going to set the rules here. 
I'd love to hear your counsel real quick as we sort of start to land this plane together. Um, let's just say, hypothetically, I'm positive this will be exactly zero of my listeners. But let's just say that in ways big or small or intentional or not, this, that we are the person um, who is unsafe in some way, that we bring some havoc into the holidays, that we um, are entitled. So can you counsel us just a little bit on best practices if somebody that we love, a family member or a friend, comes to us and pushes on a space of entitlement that we have exercised freely and with their permission, but they've decided no more, um, and they say, I'm not going to have this anymore. Because, of course, people have said this to me, too, fairly and rightly, and my instinct is to be incredibly defensive and tell them all the reasons they are wrong and they've misinterpreted this. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about when people push back on us, on our entitlement? There are so, so many Bible verses about how we're supposed to appreciate and welcome good feedback all the way from, you know, if my friend smites me, it is a favor to me. Um, you know, speaking the truth in love, you are that man, Nathan and David. So we know that there's a really, really important thing. When somebody tells us something that we're being yucky about, it's supposed to be a good thing. Now, that doesn't change the feelings. Like you said, we do get defensive. And I think the best thing you can do, especially when you're kind of caught off guard by it and you weren't ready for it and they told you this hurt my feelings when you do so or whatever, is I think there's two things going on. There's the what's called the persona. That's the social you. That's the one that you're okay. at Starbucks and they're talking and you're talking, mm-hmm. you know, like it's kind of like this, the interrelational piece. And then there's the internal you. Those are, those two yous are having two different experiences. I think this, the, the internal you, you just can't control. If you feel hurt, you're going to feel hurt and you've got to go later and write down stuff and pray about it and ask some friends if I was wrong about this and just kind of say that hurt my feelings, even though they were right. <laughs> so that's the internal voice is, can't, it's, just, it's just a, oh, that was an owie, and yeah, they're probably yeah. right. I got to go deal with that later. But the persona is vulnerable and welcoming, even if you don't feel mm-hmm. it. So you might say, that oh, yeah, okay, that, that was new information. Tell me more about that. Yeah. And, and then people feel like, oh, okay, I can talk to you like an adult about this, and you go take care of the hurt later. Unless it's a very, very deep, safe mm-hmm. relationship where you can say right then, because we're, very, we're so safe with each other, Look, I know it was right, but honestly, it hurt my feelings, and I just mm-hmm. want to let you know that. So there's the level A thing like that with those very special people, but the level B is appreciate it, welcome it, tell me how I can do it better, and then go feel the hurt and deal with that secondarily. The other part of this is that we might instantly think, you know, well, they're crazy. I didn't do that to hurt you, you know, and, and we judge ourselves largely by our intentions. Sure. Like, we, you know, we're not trying to be this or that. We're not trying to hurt somebody. But other people judge us by our behaviors mm-hmm. and the effect and the experiences that they have about how we're, how we're coming across or how we're behaving. I think it's really, really important to, to just initially begin to, you know, tell yourself, okay, and this is kind of John's inside voice, right? It's a, you know, gosh, I didn't, I didn't mean it yeah. that way, but something I did at least made it seem that way to them. Yeah. And so it's very, very helpful, I think, to say, gosh, I, I, I didn't want to make you feel that way. Tell, tell me what I did that, that made it 
made it feel that way. I certainly don't want you to feel that's that. good. So you haven't given up anything at that point. You're just saying something that's true. I'm, I'm not trying to hurt you, but I sure do want to know what I did that is hurtful to you because I don't want to do that. Mm. And that can just go a long way. And the Bible says a soft answer that's turns right. away wrath. And just empathize with, I'm sorry I felt that way, and listen. You know, this isn't court. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no judge that's going to render a settlement. You got to write a check. It, it just, you know, listen to each other, understand each other, and say, you know, what's a way that we can do this where it's not hurtful? Mm. Oh, that's so good. You guys, I'm going to ask you right in a second, just two real quick off the top of your head questions, kind of just that we're asking during this series. But I just I have one last um, thought uh, for you both. One, one really, I think this is just some of your gold material, almost your thesis material to me, um, in just dealing with life in general is when you say, um, you say, if someone is able to cause havoc by doing or saying something, she is in control of you at that point and your boundaries are lost. When you respond, you remain in control with options and choices. Just as we sort of finish it up here, can you talk to us about the difference between reacting and responding and and why that makes all the difference? Well, let's go back to the brain again. You know, one reason Henry and I love this stuff is because all the great neuroscience that comes out is basically affirms that the Bible was right every single time. All the stuff we're finding out about relationships, about success, about challenge, about obstacles, blah, 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 mental healthy thinking. It just says, okay, there's this big canvas of how people live and relate, and God finally gets the credit for how it works. And I love it. And, and so when you look at it, react is about the amygdala, the lizard brain, right? Fight, yes. flight, freeze, fold. And mm-hmm. the prefrontal cortex is the response. Now, we need the amygdala because we need to have feelings and we need to protect ourselves if a train's coming at us. We need all that stuff. Sure. But that's not where you take measured adult responses that, in, in, that are like, what's the long-term consequences of this and sort of this. So that's, good. The, the, that's the difference between the two. Now, on a practical level, what that means is wait. <laughs> mm. Wait. Yeah. So, so somebody triggers you and they hurt your feelings yeah. or they sound like an idiot or whatever. Mm-hmm. Give yourself that three or four seconds so that yeah. the information goes from the amygdala where you're getting ready to punch them out or scream yes. or yell or say, you remind me of my abusive father. That's not a good thing to say at a party, right? <laughs> right. Um, and, give it, and then what will happen is you'll think about it and then the, the kind of the, the adult function, the, the executive yeah. function will take over and say, hey, soft air turns away wrath or mm-hmm. I'd better be firm about this right now but not in a crazy way. So give mm-hmm. yourself a few seconds for that information to transfer from one side to the other. You know, for a real hothead like me, I have to do it even, I have a, I've long said this, I've had, I have a rule that I employ on the daily that is when I feel attacked Mm. or embarrassed or shamed or whatever the thing is that somebody has said something to me and I burn like, like a hot fire really, really fast. I've got to go 24 hours. Mm. (laughs) Mine is longer. I, I just have a rule. I'm not going to respond to this. Um, And it is, it is in. 100% 100% of the time, it feels different the next day. Yeah. I feel different. I feel more rational. I feel I can find the nuance even that I couldn't see in, initially. 
um, I can find my own fault that I couldn't necessarily locate um, immediately. And so it's, I, um, neuroscience to me is very, very fascinating um, just to watch God's design for humanity be discovered scientifically. It's, it's amazing. I, um, I just had Brene Brown on the podcast a few weeks ago and she does similar, you know, research and there's just, it, it never ends. Science and faith just back each other up. You know, when John is talking about t- take a few minutes here, and you're, you're talking about take 24 hours, what, what we see in science and in the Bible is that there, there's no one right way to respond right all the time. Right. What you'll see is that it takes something called wisdom. Because, you, there, you know, there are verses in the Bible that say it is a glory to a person to overlook an offense. I mean, you want to let that go because there's a, there's something bigger. There's a bigger outcome you're after, right? On the other hand, you can find a verse like Matthew 18 says, if your brother or sister sins against you, then go to them in private. You don't overlook it. Right. There's other ones that say, don't talk to that person about an offense by yourself because they're not listening. Get two or three other people and go with you. And so, if we're just reacting in the moment, what we're doing is we're, we're not choosing the wisest response to get the eventual outcome that we want to That's get. Right. And one of the, you know, John's talking about the executive functions of the brain. One of the things that are high, you know, the difference in us and a German shepherd is, you know, a German shepherd barks, but they never stop and say, I wonder if that was helpful. Mm. You know, they, they don't go, did I bark loud enough? Was it the right time? Mm-hmm. And, and they, they, they never ask, so what's my ultimate goal for this afternoon? Would barking get me closer to that or farther away? And so part of what our being in, created in the image of God that we have the capacity to do is we have, to, we have the capacity to say, okay, here's where I am right now. Here's what I'm feeling right now. But if I look, you know, if I look a week down the road with my relationship with this person, mm-hmm. Is is saying that right now going to get me closer to that, or is it going to get me farther away? And that that you know one of the key things that the emotional intelligence research taught us is the most successful people in life have the capacity for self awareness, where they can instantly tune in and say, "What am I feeling, and what's the best way to handle that?" And that would just solve a lot of problems. That would um, heal our world right now. Mm-hmm. Really, yeah. if if more adults could employ that kind of self awareness and measured response, I just can't even imagine what our civil discourse would look like now instead of what it looks like at present day. I mean, really, this is this is life changing, culture changing stuff. We we have to help each other with that. You know, I we I have two teenage girls. We'll be at you know sitting around the table at dinner. One of them will say something to the other, and I'll say. Do you want to try again to say that in a better way? Yeah. And just give them a moment, mm-hmm. you know, understand you want to say something. There's a better way to say it. See if you can find it. <laughs> We're waiting. <laughs> and so yes. we, need that, we need that capacity inside of our own heads, that, that voice inside of us that said, oh, I think that thought should remain <laughs> yes. my, my inside voice. Uh, you guys, so great. Let me ask you two quick questions. This could just be off the top of your head, and then we're finished here. 
So obviously, you guys are uh, experts, clearly, and your holidays are certainly always flawless, right? Because of how wise and intelligent you are, and you've trained all your people to be. And we never have interviews with sarcastic hosts. <laughs> I'm sure you don't. And, and we never invite our wives to be on these interviews either. <laughs> Notably absent are your people on this podcast. Um, so this will obviously be a hard question, but can you tell can you tell the listeners maybe if you could just remember one, either the funniest or the craziest holiday miss or mishap or embarrassing moment that you can recall at some point in the holiday season in your life? In my life. Um, oh yeah. That's going to take a minute. I mean, it, it, there's so many. Right. I, I got one. You got one? It has zero to do with boundaries. I, oh, good. No, it doesn't have to. I'm just saying ever. Well, Barbie and I raise boys, and so, you know, there's just a little more of the kind of like l- l- lowbrow humor that we, you know, Barbie, totally. Barbie always said, you know, I'm, I'm around aliens. We were just kind of different. So one, yes. for one Christmas, the boys are in. I don't know, like first and third grade. And this is when um, the razors were a big deal, not the ones you. Oh yeah. But you know, you slide kind of like the high-end uh, uh, scooter, right? And mm-hmm. everybody had to get razors, and so I knew that every kid in the block was going to want one. So I got I got ours early, so we had it. But um, <laughs> when um, we hit them, this is kind of I, I feel bad about it now, but I don't feel that bad. So okay. so. When it came up to the present under the under the tree, um, Barbie and I had them packed up somewhere else. And so what the boys got was like sweaters and ties sure. and nice socks and stuff. And the whole time, right outside the house, in the front yard, up and down the sidewalk, guess who going up and down and up and down and up and down? All of their 20 friends on their cool razors. And the boys are trying to be, you know, like good about it. like, hey, a tie. Wow. Yay. And they keep looking out the window and they're just trying to manage their feelings. Oh, bless it. And then, then we pull it out and they go psycho. But that was my sadistic parent joke, I guess. Oh my gosh, that's giving me such anxiety. I always want to manage everybody's feelings around their presence. Brandon always wants to pull this stuff. He always wants to pretend like the presents are all over, yeah, yeah, but yeah, they're yeah. big present. He, I will never have it. Never. This is our constant war. The good part about that, though, is after their hospital stay and for depression, the boys are just fine. It's just fine. Don't worry, exactly. about, don't worry about your anxiety. <laughs> Uh, you know, I have three of my five kids are boys too. And so when you talk about lowbrow humor around the holidays, I would, I'm still waiting to enjoy one year when we decorate our Christmas tree together, which is one of our big time family traditions. And I don't have to hear around 25 references to Christmas balls. Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) So I'm sorry that I've just said that to you, but I just understand your life. (laughs) Did you ever see the Alec Baldwin? Oh, yes. Sweaty? Yes. Classic. It was the best. Um, I've probably watched that 30 times. So, um, okay, that's perfect. Last question, just quick, quick, quick. Um, what is, what's like your favorite holiday tradition with your families? We have a couple of things we like. Um, one is we, we like kind of the service aspect of, you know, what's going on in the, you know, either with. Now, what am I going to say now? Exactly. 
you're going to say something lowbrow, like, we see a Christmas movie. <laughs> now, this is the point in the interview when Henry says, and I am that service. That's kind of how it <laughs> Exactly. So, you know, it's just kind of a, you know, when we're all together, it's just a fun thing and to, to go help out in either something the church sponsors or people we know. But but yeah. the the other thing is, yeah, we do like, we, I was going to say it, we do like the movie stuff, you know. Do you have a favorite? Well, the the one we're into now is the old uh, uh, Will Ferrell Elf. We kind of just oh, we that's one of we ours. Obsess on that one. It's just fun. Same. In fact, in Austin, what we do, one of our Christmas traditions is um, we have a movie theater here called the Alamo Draft House, and it's just quirky and it's interesting. And they do every year an Elf quote along and sing along. So we get our tickets. <laughs> as early as we can and we all wear costumes and we go to the elf quote along and we um, sing along with the whole movie and do all the quotes and we throw, we throw beach balls all over the, the theater and it's just the most fun. So um, I, that is honorable and noble. No one's going to shame you for that. And what about you? Well, mine's uh not quite as lofty as John's with the servicing, but the, the favorite, but our girls are um, 15 and 17. And years ago, um, when they were little, Tori and I started uh, picking about a five or six day window, right, right in the Christmas holidays to get out of the hustle and bustle and go somewhere, just take a little vacation. Yeah. And get away from it all and watch everybody else shop and be hairy. Yeah. And that that was our tradition for the two of us. And when then the girls got old enough to kind of be aware that they were getting left on these trips. Right. <laughs> that um, they started saying, well, we want to go. And probably since they were about 10 or 12, yeah. we, we'll take five or six days um, right you know, before Christmas, actually. And we'll take our vacation then. And we'll go, you know, save up our money and go go to New York or somewhere. And we do that as a family. And and we 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 cordon that time off to not be hurried, to not be working, to not be running around going crazy. And it's a great tradition. We love oh, that. that sounds like a dream. Where are you going to go this year? Um, well, this year we got a little bit of a problem because they're they're. Christmas vacations are in different schools. Oh, nuts. So we're, we're still trying to figure out. We may come to your house, especially, <laughs> when, especially if I tell them that you, you've got three teenage boys. You know, ah, you know. yes. I'm familiar with that sort of low-hanging fruit. That'll get teenagers out the door. If, if we could do an arranged marriage, I've, I've been trying, you know, with one of John's, but they're they're a little older. so Yes, yes. Well, I'm willing to marry our kids off at any moment. So you just let me know if we need to, like, exchange some texts. Um, uh, I'm, I'm ready to sign a deal, and I'll help them with their in-law boundaries. <laughs> uh, on that note, um, hey, thank you both. Just times a million for your time today and for being on the podcast. I'm telling you, my listeners probably sat through this with pen and paper in hand. So um, you're both great. You're both smart. You're both funny. Um, and you're welcome at the Hatmaker House anytime. So thank you again, you guys, for your time today. Thanks, Jen. Thank you. And and John, John and I both, um, if we could give a little plug. Here, yeah. We, we both, in terms of boundaries, we both designed um, some online kind of coaching paths for some people oh, that yes. if they want to 
So, so for mine, they go to boundaries.me. Yep. It's boundaries.me. And I'll come along and take you through a building better boundaries path. And, and John, what, what's the URL uh, for your townsandnow.com, where there's a lot of digital um, experiences uh, about growth and boundaries and that sort of thing. So townsandnow.com. Got it. Perfect. And listeners, we will have all those links for you. So just go to my website if you didn't have a chance to write that down and we'll have everything in hand for you. Plus um, links to all the guys' books and their their studies and all their projects and where to find them. So, um, okay, guys, thanks for being on. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you both. And um, just appreciate you so much. All right. Take care. Thank you, Janice. Good to be with you. Those two are, they're so great. Um, Nothing makes me happier than really smart, intelligent thought leaders who are also hilarious. That's my absolute favorite combination in a human being. Um, And so I just enjoyed that conversation so much. I hope it was useful to you. Um, I hope you you heard something that was helpful um, or that you'll be able to sort of take with you into this season. Believe me, if you have not read their stuff, if you've not really done a deep dive with boundaries and some of the the work that they've done, you're going to want to. Um, I am not trying to overstate it, but their research and, and counsel and advice is just, it's invaluable and it's, it's really changed my life. So um, as I've mentioned, every link, every book, um, all their stuff, all their digital content. It'll all be over on my website at jenhatmaker.com. Plus the transcription of this whole interview will be over there just for those of you who like to read it, or you want to comb back through and pull out quotes that you, um, want to remember or notes that you don't want to have to take. We basically take notes for you. So, um, anyway, this, we've got some other great guests in this series and really want to help you make the Thanksgiving and Christmas season strong and healthy and fun and positive, um, filled with like meaningful traditions and meaningful relationships. And so, um, tune back in next week for even more, um, in this series for sure. You guys, thank you for listening week in and week out. This is such a great time with you. And, uh, we, we love, love, love having you in this space. Thanks for leaving reviews. Thank you for leaving, um, your comments and your ratings. All that's really helpful, uh, for a podcast and we're paying attention. We're listening to everything that you say and what you'd love to hear about and how we can better serve you. So um, believe me, we are listening to your responses. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing the podcast with your friends too. Um, Looking forward to spending time with you next week. Bye guys. Thanks for joining us today on the For the Love podcast. Tune in next week when we sit down again with Jen and friends to chat about all the things we love. Love you, our listeners. So we want to be sure you subscribe to For the Love with Jen Hatmaker via iTunes or your favorite podcast provider so you don't miss a thing. And if you have a minute, please leave us a review. To become a part of Jen's online community, visit jenhatmaker.com and sign up for her newsletter. It's full of all the things you love, including free stuff. We love free stuff. Thanks for listening and see you next time on For the Love with Jen Hatmaker.